How does Neil start this off? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Twilight After Show. I'm Carl Wiggers, co-producer of This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. Joining me today is Avery Davidson and Kristen Oakes, co-hosts of the TV show This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. And we got a pretty cool show today. We mm-hmm. talked about... Uh, we have you know anything from trade to hemp to farm bill to podcasting. Uh, you some, like to talk about pod- podcasting. I love a podcasting. <laughs> sugarcane. That's the joke. We got some really messy sugarcane video that I got to go shoot, and uh, you know, and we even have governor race elections uh, mm-hmm. results. So I'm sure it's not news to many people in Louisiana now, but yeah, but it, it's still something that's the ongoing story. So we have businessman Republican Eddie Rasponi in a runoff against. Democrat incumbent John Bell Edwards, who uh, spent time in the Louisiana legislature before becoming uh, governor for the last four years. And this is going to be a very, very tight runoff. Mm -hmm. I think that this is going to be um, a very close race. It was it was so close between even uh, Congressman Ralph Abraham and Eddie Rispone whenever it came down Mm -hmm. to who was going to get into the runoff. Uh, Eddie Rasponi came away with about 27% of the vote, and so that was three percentage points higher yeah. than what Ralph Abraham pulled in. And what was interesting to me was that's pretty close. I, I didn't see any final polls right before, but I remember we've talked about it uh, even probably on the show, mm-hmm. but it's pretty close to where the polling numbers were, which was kind of surprising because a, you know, a, a lot of people were thinking maybe you know with Rasponi, mm-hmm. especially kind of following the Trump model, being a businessman coming in from outside, kind of an outsider, mm-hmm. it was... We were kind of like, eh, who, who knows what the polls are really going to say, but they were pretty close. Am I right? I mean, it was right yeah. there close to the part of the polling numbers. Well, the polling numbers had Abraham at about 17 and Rasponi at about 20. So the three percentage points of difference is where it was close. But you still had about 11 percent undecided voters mm-hmm. at the time. That was before the election. Now is when we're going to see if all of those people who voted for Ralph Abraham are going to vote for Rasponi. It also depends on who actually turns out, because mm-hmm. in some parts mm-hmm. of the state, we had a 57 percent voter turnout. You might not see that in a runoff election. Yeah, I, th- I thought I saw total turnout, unofficial turnout at under 50 percent. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, because statewide. Statewide. But that's were, crazy to me. Yeah, well, anything above like 28 percent is normally considered pretty good turnout. That's nuts. I have a feeling that the commercials are going to get very ugly. <laughs> From here on out, I don't know how they. Um, we don't get Louisiana news, of course, anymore. But um, yeah, I ha- so I haven't seen. I've seen all the Mississippi <laughs> election commercials, but how were the commercials before? They were rough. So um, Ralph Abraham was actually getting attacked from um, the the Gumbo Pack, which is uh, a pack that supports uh, John Bell Edwards. Uh-huh. And he was also getting attacked by uh, by Eddie Rasponi. I figured so, that they were pretty bad just just by seeing on Facebook how mm-hmm. the how responses, they, yes, the responses from Abraham's, from Abraham's teams daughter, and supporters. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the tough part though for for all of them is going to be raising money here. In the, well, I say tough part. It's not going to be tough for uh, Eddie Rasponi. He pretty much self funded his campaign. Sounds familiar. In the primary, yeah. I mean, he put fifteen million dollars into it. So it's worked so far for him. Yeah, can't 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 knock that. It's uh, it's been it's been quite the topic. And the reason I I put that in the show this week, and it's kind of like old news, but I thought, what better time to promote, you know, the interviews that we've actually gotten to conduct. You conducted them mm-hmm. uh, with each of these candidates that are going to be in the runoff that are in the runoff. Um, you know, there's twenty minutes a piece, pretty much, of them talking straight ag issues from trucking and you know insurance rates to mm-hmm. you know 
tax, tax exemptions. I think that's huge for the voter base to understand, especially with a lot of our audience. And they're not addressing those topics in oh, no. the those general aren't debates, the debates that are televised. So, yeah. 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 so we'll, we'll post a link to that on, yeah. our, on our website to where you can go back and look. And, I mean, you're also talking about the governor who brought chickens back to the governor's hey, mansion. Hey, he's got them Okay, there. so. Hello. Uh, you know, <laughs> I went and checked him out myself. I guess he, you know, he missed having the, have, being out there uh, in a meet with the dairy, so he's got to have some kind of livestock going around. Well, let's talk about some other issues, other stories that we've been talking about on the show this week, which uh, the first story in the show was Neil's story about trade, mm-hmm. um, which it, it in, in the rundown, I'm looking at it, it says trade with China and Japan. Avery, do you know the latest on anything with China? Well, with China, there's still some talks going on. It looked like the ice was starting to melt a little bit, but it, it's not anywhere close to where it was before. However, there is a trade deal struck with Japan, so that is going to help move more commodities there. But Japan just doesn't have the population. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the, the, the need for U.S. ag commodities. But one of the people Neil interviewed for that story, Andy Brown, who mm-hmm. uh, is our national affairs coordinator here at the Louisiana Farm Bureau, he was recently at the taping of LPB's Louisiana Public Square, which was a show centered around the tariffs and mm-hmm. the issues that that's caused for Louisiana because every economist in the country says one of the states most impacted by it, Louisiana, because mm-hmm. we have so much shipping and so much grain goes through the Everything port of goes through Louisiana, almost yeah. everything. So um, he was on that. They they recorded that on November 16th. It is going to air. November 16th? October I'm sorry, 16th. October 16th. Yes. It helps if I know which month I'm in. <laughs> that's that's the kind of week it's been, The month's folks. been flying by, but not that yeah. fast. So October 16th is when they, they shot it. Um, it's going to air October 23rd, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on LPB. So you're... Louisiana Public Broadcasting, find your local station, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. You'll be able to check that out. You'll also see some other familiar faces on yeah. there. That's what I, Andy was telling me, that there were a, Farm Bureau was well represented in the crowd and the audience that you know asked the questions, interact and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said it was really great for keeping ag at the forefront of the discussion, which is huge. I mean, there are other things in play, mm-hmm. but agriculture is what, I mean, what we're focused on and what Andy deals mostly with, I mean, all with. But uh, I thought that was really cool, you know, that we were able to keep ag at the front of the conversation with this, not, you know, who's the president and what, you know, what tweet was made yesterday or whatnot. So I thought that was kind of cool. I'm going to drop a few names because that way, if you're listening and you know these people, you'll want to watch, right? Because that's, yeah. that's the way it normally works. So uh, former assistant to the president, Jim Monroe, was there All right. and fired off a question. He's too. been on the podcast. Yes, Coach he you. has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Louisiana Farm Bureau first vice president, Jim Harper. Um, Philip Lamartiniere, who is the uh, of Oils Parish uh, Farm Bureau president, Robert Duncan, mm-hmm. who Young is the Rapids Parish first vice president, and then also Ryan and Danielle Yerby okay. were there as well. So over in Grant Parish, so they had a good group of people who know about the issues understood them, and were able to bring some intelligent questions to the discussion. So even if you are just kind of on the edge of ag, you should check it out. It'd be cool. I, I got one more farmer that probably should have been there. I'd love to hear what Landon wanted oh, to know. I was about it. to say, uh, I'm, ho- I'm guessing that this was shot in Alexandria. Yeah, yeah. Central Louisiana, that, if you yeah. That. Um, yeah, Landon would have been great on there. Yeah, I'd cringed it. <laughs> hear him ha- be a part of the discussion i would have asked him to answer every question or ask yeah. every question as an auctioneer oh man that would have been fun <laughs> now that would have been entertaining and he could certainly do that 
he would he would have had fun with that. But what, what Landon? We talked about soybeans in the show. That's that's a story later on in the show. But where yes. Landon? I mean, where are they at with harvest and stuff? Are they finished they up? Just wrapped up at the end of last week. I think they've finished. Um, you know, they do all of their plowing, fertilizing, and everything for the next year. So they've finished up, and now we're moving on to um, duck season preparations, oh, yeah. of course. I was about to ask. I mean, I'm sure he's got another another yeah. thing on his mind now. Yeah, because it, it, it always, they always seem to run into each other, but this year's harvest seemed to last exceptionally long. So yeah. we're not going to have any kind of... So fast track straight to duck season. Yeah. Woohoo! What know, a perfect segue. We, well, we don't have uh, Landon in the uh in the booth but we do have another member of Kristen's family we in the have booth my other with us. better half your other better half <laughs> much better half cooper cooper's in the house <laughs> cooper's uh how, how long you had cooper cooper was born you gotta on, say that into the mic <laughs> cooper was born on may 15th of 2011 <laughs> we've had him ever since that's pretty good i'm taking some pictures i'll post a picture with uh speak speak Coop. we have a tr- we have a new trick but we don't have any B-O-N-E-S's to offer. <laughs> so, you got to spell it with the dog around. It. I thought you only spelled you it with... Uh, you want bone? Oh, wow. He does perk up. Uh-huh. Speak. Speak. Spe- speak. Yeah. He's a schnauzer, Come for those on. of you who don't know. He's, and, a, he's a cutie. And he's going to be on next week's show. He will be on next week's show. We'll talk about that in just one second. I was going to tease the next week's show at the end, but Kristen mentioned this. Duck season. That's Wabbit something season. that a lot of... Far- huh? Wabbit season. Wabbit season. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> no. Uh... Kristen mentioned duck season. That's something that a lot of farmers, I'm sure, are looking forward to, maybe to get their mind off of trade or who knows what. But duck season's coming. Uh, <laughs> yep. So you're about to... Uh, <laughs> he'll be more absent than the during harvest. Existence. But that's something that a lot of farmers are focused on. And mm-hmm. you did a story kind of tying into that, right? Yeah, well, I went and visit with Eric Uncle. He's a third-generation rice farmer and crawfish farmer over in Allen Parish. And he's working closely with the NRCS, his local soil and water conservation district, Ducks Unlimited, and USA Rice Federation on programs to improve migratory bird habitat on his farm, water quality, and also where from where he gets his water. Right now, he's using primarily well water, which draws off of the Chico Aquifer. Well, through the RCPP, which is a program administered by NRCS, but done in uh, in partnership with the Soil and Water Conservation District, Ducks Unlimited, and USA Rice Federation. Well, that pay is going to help pay for um, a pump to pull off of a canal so that he uses surface water, and will also be able to recycle the water in his rice fields. So it's like tailwater. Exactly. That's exactly That's awesome. what so, he's going to do. So how how I mean. Are they, are they using that to, you know, build duck habitat? Is that what is that kind of the way the Ducks Unlimited comes in? Right, because what you do is you flood your fields earlier, and that way the birds, when they're on their migratory routes, have some place to go, some place to stay where they're safe, mm-hmm. and, uh, well, relatively well, safe. But you know who, what I mean. Depending on who's in the field. <laughs> but what, what Eric was saying, that ducks and geese during the winter do a ton of cleanup for him mm. in his rice fields. They actually are very beneficial to what he's doing. And his nephew, Aaron, who um, I had gotten some video of of him uh, laser leveling some land, but I never used it in the story because I never had a spot where we could talk about laser leveling. But his nephew, Aaron, is going to be the fourth generation oh, wow. to That's take cool. over the farm. So he's doing all of these 
programs for efficiency to make sure and conservation to make sure he can pass that farm on down to the next generation. You know, it's it's just another sign of stewardship from our farmers here in Louisiana. I think they're actually looking forward to a pretty successful what they hope will be a successful duck season this year because they're predicting a very wet winter mm-hmm. in Louisiana and then all of that snow and really cold weather that hit, you know, through Minnesota and that's they kind of that's what Landon constantly watches is the the weather report in Minnesota and North Dakota to see how the migratory pattern of the birds might come down. Oh. He's probably, he, he's probably more concerned with the weather after harvest season, isn't he? Oh, my gosh, yes. He he did this honey break. Um, it was a video for honey break, and they were profiling the duck guides, and he was harvesting, and so they had to come out and he, listening to him talk about farming and how he got into farming, and then when they started talking to, tying it in with duck hunting, that's when he really lit up. And yeah, I, I, said, I, I imagine. Wish, I said... I wish you were as excited talking about the farming as you were about the duck hunting. But yeah, you know, I have a simple solution to uh, this duck hunting being the bane of your existence. Mm-hmm. Join him. Ooh, go out there, mm. go sit in a duck I, blind. No, I've tried. Put a shotgun on your shoulder, fire off a couple of shells, see what you hit. Other I've, than possibly him, I've and tried. then you've tried. I've tried. I've tried to enjoy. It. I, I was raised. I was raising. Uh, a big, I mean, we were very much a hunting family growing up. Um, and my older cousin was my cousin Drew. He farms with my dad now. He was really into the duck hunting side. And my dad and my brother and I were always kind of stayed on the, the deer hunting because I liked it because it was peaceful. And that's just, that's all dad did. Duck hunting came around the farm a little bit later. And it was actually, they were really involved with you know, NRCS and different programs like that to, you know, build habitat. Mm-hmm. And Drew, really got into it and he i mean they really have a great some great duck hunting at the farm i joined them one time for a hunt and i'm a terrible shot and they (laughs) they reminded me how terrible of a shot i was you don't say and i never went back never went back duck hunting but it looks like so much fun i'd like to go i mean honey break i'm sure the list is long if i had to pick between duck hunting and deer hunting and it's two separate species of people who that are obsessed with (laughs) each and each one of them respectively because they they have their own obsession issues, but uh, duck hunting I will pick. I'll take that any day over deer hunting because I can't stand the sitting still, quiet. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more communal. Like you can you can kind of talk yes. with each other, and you know it's kind of more they cutting up and there, yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen some duck blinds that are like they have like full blown like little. I say full blown little kitchen break, like, kitchens. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. And heaters and I'm sitting about in, to upset. Sitting in a lazy boy duck hunting. I'm about to upset most of our audience. Who has two thumbs, is 45 years old, and never been hunting in his life? Avery Davidson. This guy. I don't... I, I've never been hunting. Wow. Well, I'm my, not surprised. I love to fish. My I dad never hunted, so that was part of most people's dads. Grow, mm-hmm. you know, that was they, mine. They grow up around hunting, and so they just... It, that's yeah. why it was so foreign to me when we started dating. Yeah, my dad didn't didn't hunt much. I think he went deer hunting a couple of times, but we would go fishing a lot. Mm-hmm. So That's, that's what my father-in-law, yeah. that, he's, he, he kind of... Whenever I talk about deer hunting or going up, you know, spending the weekend at home and going deer hunting for a weekend, he's like, that sounds terrible. I'd rather get up at 3 a.m. and go down to the Gulf and go fishing. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't but know. I think I'd rather do that. The fishing, I mean, I've gone fishing with him, and it is pretty fun. And I think this it's, weekend actually may happen, too. It's one thing when people do it as a hobby, like on <laughs> like on Black Friday when most women go shop. You know, most people mm-hmm. in this state go hunting. And 
but it's a different story. Landon, it's, an Landon, it's an obsession. It, yeah, it's. I think he, I would say even, if there's not, a word stronger than obsession, I would say that probably is what Landon is. Yeah, he counts. He can tell you exactly how many days of the season that he missed, which is probably on one many. hand. Yeah, <laughs> that's Every crazy. Year. That's crazy. I, I like you mentioned this back to the kind of the story here, but I like that this kind of is that over like arching theme of farmers conserving land mm-hmm. and taking care of the land, being good stewards of the land, because that's something that, regardless of if you're Mr. Uncle, mm-hmm. my dad, or Landon White, you know, everybody is trying to conserve their land and take care of it for the next generation, whoever that next generation may be. Yeah, and I think that's just a story that I think gets missed a lot. I'm going to pull out my soapbox again. That's, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah. That's why I get a little bothered when people talk about sustainable farming. Every form of farming has to be sustainable or else guess what the farm goes out of business mm-hmm. it doesn't get passed on to the next generation so whatever this term sustainable farming is supposed to mean it's a marketing ploy mm. and as as a pr guy i grab onto that with both hands and i'm like really people do, do you think any business that stays afloat for multiple generations has to be sustainable? Mm. That's what sustaining is when you can pass it on. Well, and the better you take care of your land, the more you will profit right. from it at the end of the year. And and the less you'll have to spend on it. For, and for yeah. the people that when you talk about animal agriculture, don't take care of the animals or the land. That is that's their well, livelihood. Why would they not? T- of course, they take care of them. Of course, they provide the best care and environment for them. And the land, you know, one feeds into the other, literally. Yeah. The mm-hmm. land, they take care of the land because the land feeds their animals, which in turn make a profit. Oh, my gosh. this is These segues are happening amazingly, <laughs> swimmingly. But that's uh, you're saying all this, and that's something that Galen and I talked about on our podcast, another podcast, but the Louisiana Farm Life podcast. Galen Iverstein, he's a... A farmer from actually is from Baton Rouge. He now farms in Kentwood because that's mm-hmm. where he can afford land. But yeah. he has a butcher shop also here in town. But and we've done stories on Galen. Um, you were in school the same time as Galen, roundabout. His or wife and I uh, were in the same sorority. She okay. was a year younger. Than- There's the connection. Mm-hmm. Well, I did a story on him probably the I think the spring I came here to Farm Bureau, and I've kind of followed him since the, the last three or four years. I've been kind of watching what he does, and I just I'm a huge fan of it, but it's um, very, very small farm, but he's doing, you know, beef, poultry, and pork, and he does it, like, all on one piece of land, you know, and he's rotating them all behind each other and mm-hmm. stuff and really feeding the land, you know, with, you know, uh, you know the natural fertilizer, manure, mm-hmm. but then he has the chickens follow and pick through and, you know, taking bugs, and he, he gets really into that kind of stuff, the microbes and feeding the soil and building the earthworms and all this kind of really enriching the ground that he's on because he's like, that ground is where my living comes from and it's Mm -hmm. important for me to take care of it. So he talks about that and talks about them, you know, really feeding into each other and coming coming to his bottom line. And I thought it was like a, it was one of my favorite interviews. And I say that about every one of them. I got to stop doing that. You said that that about the last three We have so many interesting people. We do have some interesting people, but... It, it, it was a great interview. We put a clip of it in the show this week. The most interesting, to me personally, the most interesting part of his story is when you talked about what he went to school for. He's from Baton Rouge, was not raised in agriculture. Mm-hmm. What he went to school for and then how 
tell that story yeah, of so how he's he was in he was in I think political, political science, science class or something, and I think it's actually an English class during his political science major. But he was having to do research on something, and he found his way into food systems and talking about like you know the food systems that we have in America today and. He kind of went down this rabbit trail, a rabbit hole of, you know, YouTube videos mm-hmm. that I know a lot about. Um, I bet YouTube's pulled off my computer right now. Um, <laughs> but he pulled, he got on this rabbit trail of just learning about the food systems. And he's like, that sounds cool. I could, I could do that. I could do that better. I think, mm-hmm. we, I think we can, you know, and he found these kind of a couple small farms that were kind of modeling what he's doing now. And he went and he straight up like pretty much made his mind up, I think, during college. He's like, uh, political science, I'll finish this out, but I'm going to go do the, you know, he did an, an internship or a, not an internship, but a, uh, like an intensive, like a summer. Apprenticeship. Apprenticeship type thing in, in uh, Virginia or somewhere like that, Virginia or West Virginia. But he, he tells that story on the podcast and I was just like so impressed because it was just, you know, he's yeah. like, I like it. I want to make something. That's what he told me about ag. He's like, I want to make something. Mm-hmm. Farmers like him and the Lucketts who did not grow up in it and are, you know, started basically with what little they had, mm-hmm. whether it was land or resources or, or whatever. And they've built these operations. To me, they are so impressive because, you know, they didn't have it like we did, mm-hmm. kind of bred into us mm-hmm. that where we grew up around it. But they found they found a love for it and then they've turned it also into something that is very visible with the public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're bringing products directly to consumers. And I know that what traditional farmers do brings it to the public, but... Through they, a few channels. Yes, it takes, but, it takes mm-hmm. filters to get to the public. People in the biggest, you know, the the capital of Louisiana, they know these farms because they're in the farmer's market. They're in, you know, they're, they've they're got on a social restaurant. Media. Yeah, they're on social mm-hmm. media. And so I think that they're a great testament to the agriculture industry. Yeah, that, well, that's one of the things we also talk about a lot is transparency and how important that is to him and, you know, what, what he's doing. He's like, I mean, I my, my product is worth nothing if the consumer, the customer, at the end of the day, doesn't believe in it like I do. Mm-hmm. So it's just really, it's really neat how he talks about, you know, like we talk about the butcher shop and how he's got a big glass that looks into the cut room. Mm-hmm where they can see a whole animal on the table that's being, you know, or a half of an animal, a side of a, a side of right. beef getting cut yeah. down. And it's just, it's a, it's a cool discussion that he's having. And uh, it's, I, I'm, I, found, I almost said it's my favorite, but it's <laughs> such a good podcast. And I, I, I've listened to it Everybody's a couple times myself. Favorite. See, what I find is anyone who is passionate about what they do and truly passionate about it, they're going to want to be open about it because they want other people to see why they're passionate about it. And you don't, you don't get people to see that passion by putting up a wall. Mm-hmm. You get the people to see that passion by putting up a window mm. and letting them look in and then opening the door and say, come on in. This is why I love this. Yeah. And that's exactly what Galen did. He did it by putting a window for the butcher shop and put, opening a door for a butcher shop to actually sell his product directly to people. Yeah, and he's right, of, he's right in the middle of Baton Rouge, too. A little bit of trivia. Does anybody remember the first time that Galen was on our show? I do, because I've had to look it up a I lot. do. What was it? Is that going to be Taylor Fry's reporting for duty whenever yeah. she was helping take care yep. of the pigs? Because that made me, I remember that when you were talking about the rotational grazing, what he does with the chickens and mm-hmm. the cows and then swaps them. There's 
Wondered yeah. if y'all yeah. remember that. We actually we actually mentioned that because I I, I was kind of telling him how, or we were talking about how you know I learned about him originally, uh-huh. and uh, he mentioned yes, yeah, he he remembered Mike and everybody came out to the, the farm and did that. Yep. Complete and utter tangent from that. Taylor Fry, you know who she's uh, doing a little music with right now? James McCann. That's right. <laughs> Saw that on Instagram. <laughs> James McCann, Kyle McCann, assistant to the president of the Louisiana Farm Bureau. His son, great musician. Actually, he's pretty, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Used to be your roommate. He did. I, I tell you what, I mean, I love James. This is quite a tangent, but I feel like this is about to be a. He's pretty good, but I'm better. Story. No, oh <laughs> gosh, no. It, it, I I do not miss having other guys as roommates that were similar to my age. But I do miss James sitting on our couch, just you know, noodling Strumming. away with a guitar or a banjo or a dobro or whatever instrument. And I'm sure Kyle will say, "Well, you're welcome to have him back." But, <laughs> um, but gosh, he is so good. And I was watching. I saw some videos on Instagram of them playing, and I'm just like, "Oh, yeah, he just played Dyson House like what last night or no? Night he, he, last? He's constantly playing Dyson House or you know other uh, Baton Rouge music uh and, hall or whatever it's called but and you can follow taylor fry music on facebook as well so go go well, check our stuff out go check out Ugh. some local louisiana artists I there wish you go had talent oh my gosh yeah james That's okay we wish you had talent mm. too oh my gosh <laughs> musical talent musical talent yeah james made me sick i mean it was fun to listen to him play in the living room but it's also like i'm never gonna be that good <laughs> it's crazy anyways um while we're on back to podcast real fast so galen is the current louisiana farm life but you talked about taking care of the land. That's a big theme that I talk about with the next guest that we have is Trey Jingles. He's a forester mm. from Ruston area. So it'll be, a, it'll be a really cool podcast, and that theme is going to come back. Was he your favorite or second favorite? 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 No, favorite. He's the favorite. He said he was your favorite. He's the favorite interview I've, I've conducted he was the favorite in October of that week. for sure. <laughs> he is his favorite that he could sit down across from and have whip his ass. Because I mean, he, he showed me the video. Oh my he, gosh, he's an ex-former marine. He's a former. He, he's a current. He he is a marine right now. He's an active duty serving. Uh, I don't know. I say active duty. He's he's Mar- like marine on his reserve. on his last. He's on his last couple years. But um, how's that any different than any other Wednesday? Oh, I sit across uh, from him and I just saying. I'll and you put can, you under this table. I will put you under this table. <laughs> I think I've heard that before. But no, Trey Trey is a marine. He's uh, an ag leadership class alum. He's a tech grad. He graduated in forestry there, and it was a really interesting discussion. But he, he was also he was very passionate about being a part of the political process, the voting, mm-hmm. you know, understanding who you're voting for and what you know their job is and who they answer to. Which he's a firm believer in. They answer to us, which is true. Um, and he, he he has a different perspective because he said, you know, I've, I've served in the Marines for you know 20 years, so people can have the right to go vote and be a part of the process so he's like i mean he's kind of offended when people he's like people say all the time he said thanks for your service and all this kind of stuff and he said i appreciate that but if you really want to thank me go vote that's what he said to me i was like that's pretty profound when will you uh be releasing that podcast i'm hoping to get it out next week okay that's my goal and uh, i've got video of it too so it'll uh it'll be on the twilight show as soon as i get a, a little clip to share with it um but I'm, I'm really excited about that one one more story I want to talk about, and is my own. Oh, yeah. You actually had a story this week. How could I forget about that, Carl? I did shoot a story this week. I went to West Baton Rouge. I went a long way. Yeah. Uh, right across the river to Bobby Morris's farm. I actually, I, I started thinking through this Sunday afternoon. I was like, I'm going to do a sugarcane story, a harvest story. I was late. I was actually sick Monday, so by the time 
I got to go out to him. I reached out to him. It was Tuesday morning, and the rain had come in, and it rained like most of the day Monday evening. I think it started raining Monday evening all day Tuesday, and then all night Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. By the time I got to his farm Wednesday morning, it was a mess. And the kind of the the, the part of the story for me was it's been a great first few weeks of sugarcane grinding, and that's all of a sudden changed. So. We kind of talked through that. He kind of explained some of that, but I got some incredible video. I, I rode with one of the uh, the grain cart, or not grain cart, uh, but cane cart, cane cart, uh, corn kid coming out. <laughs> but <laughs> I rode in one of the carts with one of the drivers, and th- the roads there, I-, I was getting nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they do it all the time, and they know how to. They, they're weaving back and forth on the roads just to keep from making crazy ruts in one spot, but. There are certain areas where they're they're crossing over like culverts, mm-hmm. and there's not but a, a foot or so on each side of. I mean, it felt like a, felt like inches on each side of the tractor, and as wet as it was, I'm like, how 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 close are we from like that just sliding off that cart full of sugarcane sliding yeah. off the wrong side? And he's like, I ain't worried. <laughs> I was like, okay, man. <laughs> Bobby had what has had uh, a tractor go into that canal no, before. I'm not surprised, it, but it was during. A torrential rainstorm, and uh, but uh, yeah, you'll have to ask him about that story. I, I've seen that done in corn, mm-hmm. you know, before, but they're not hauling corn in rain or in you know super muddy conditions like that. Yeah, they I've don't seen have a choice with yeah, with and that's cane. what was really interesting to me. And I've known this that you know sugarcane is cut grinded seven days a week for most people. He, he, he talked about they have a I think every ninth day they have off to kind of take care of equipment and mm-hmm. clean up roads and, you know, reload for the next nine-day stretch. But uh, that was it's, it's interesting because the, the mills, they depend on uh, on these ca- this cane to keep the mill running. Yep. So they have to have cane, muddy, rain, snow, sleep, shine, whatever it is. And that's just a different, you know, yeah. a different mentality from, you know, the, the, the delta where I'm from where Landon Farms. It's just different. Where you can bag your corn and leave it there for a week. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah. Whereas with sugarcane, 24 hours after it's cut, you got to process it. Yeah. So one of the cool things about going and doing the story, I'd actually never met anyone that takes their sugarcane that, that you know to Alma Plantation. Oh yeah. You know where Alma, where we've also done a story with them is with the um, three roll three estate. roll estate rum. So I thought that was a really cool connection. I was like, ah, that's where. So if anybody doesn't, isn't familiar, well, I'll put a link to the the, the video, the, actually the entire show, show that we, we shot did. from here. But that's where that rum starts is in fields like Bobby's. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's where that comes from. That That's, you know, some connection made there. I thought that was just, he, he mentioned that and I was like, oh, okay. Anyways, any other thoughts, anything from the show this week? Kristen, you, you had a boost that was kind of uh, interesting. I feel like we have those kind of stories all the time you see that a lot in farming that that was to me that yeah it was a the freak blizzard that came across the northwest a guy in idaho um still had an entire crop of potatoes in the ground and that night the temperatures were supposed to get down to 12 degrees which would have ruined his potato crop mm-hmm. so the town got wind of his predicament they all banded together and came and helped him harvest finish out his harvest that day before the temperatures got so low and i think that's just kind of the you know what i wanted to say was farmers do what farmers do you know when Mm -hmm. their neighbor is in need doesn't matter who they are or what the situation is 
they're just good people and they they reach out and help each other when when times of need so mm-hmm. you see that you know with the flood mm-hmm. you see that when things go wrong they're the first ones that step up and and help out i feel like you see that a lot i mean almost every harvest season of some sort there's that story happening where mm-hmm. some neighbor needs a help needs help in the entire you know, mm-hmm. county or you know area just comes together with all the gear they have. And a couple of years ago, a guy had cancer, mm-hmm. and so yeah. That actually, that similar story right there happened this year in North Louisiana. I mean, this it doesn't have to be in Idaho or right. you know, it, it's farmers across the country all do the same exact thing. And it, it was kind of funny because we were planning to do a story about it, but another neighbor went in and harvested the crop before we were able to go oh. up there and shoot the story. Yeah, it happened. Which I mean, which is good. Yeah, which is good it's in. still a great story you know but it was before we could get cameras there yeah so but they don't it, do it for the cameras that's the right. other thing about it it's kind of neat um and then i guess maybe i should explain why cooper's in here with us yeah tell us why cooper's in here Let's so see. this morning Kristen and i went over to a dog park because um i'm working on a story about a company named marsh dog He's giving his approval. That's his approval. He's, he approves of Marsh, of dog. Marsh dog. Marsh dog <laughs> makes dog treats out of nutria. Nutria. Yes. Like, like the little rodents that are rodents. Out. That's what I was thinking of. He yeah. said they taste good. <laughs> translating. I'm translating. Yeah. Yeah. So they make dog treats out of roadkill. No, not roadkill. Not roadkill. These are all that are taken out on the bounty because there's a five dollar bounty in Louisiana for. Oh, really? Yeah, for nutria because they're an invasive species. They eat all the roots uh, they taste off good. of the plants. They eat all the roots off the plants on the coast, and then the water comes up and roads the uh, coast away. So by taking out the nutria, you're protecting the coast, and that is the whole goal of Marsh Dog. I don't want to tell the whole story because I want you to watch the story, and you'll actually get to see Cooper in all of his glory. Cooper taste tested, mother approved, but his breath I don't approve of. You don't approve of the breath? <laughs> I don't approve of the breath afterwards. <laughs> well, he did like, Cooper liked the blueberry. A minute ago he yawned. Kristen was squat, like squatting down in the office. He was, she was squatting down petting him and he yawned right in her face and she was just, oh gosh. <laughs> her face was pretty sickening. But anyways, that's that's the story for next week. Thanks for thanks for. He said, "Be sure to watch it." Oh yeah, that's what he said. It'll I, be doggone good. Doggone good. He said, "You can't miss his face." Oh my gosh, <laughs> you can't miss that bandana. Very October. He's ready for Halloween. Yeah, he is. Well, that does it for this edition of the Twilight After Show. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you again right here next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear too. The Twilight After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.